this morning's sermon on your handout, the certainty of hope. The hope, the key truth here is hope accords with the faithfulness of God. Our God is faithful. And so this morning we want to look at God's character and we want to look at God's promise. And this evening we're going to look at God's word. Now I've been a fan of Man United since I was about six or seven. And many of you may know this, many may not know. I've seen many trophies that they've won over the years. And Man United used to have a great manager, great players. They won all the trophies going. But something changed in 2013. The, the manager, Sir Alex Ferguson, he decided to retire. That particular season, we won another Premier League trophy and it appeased the fans. Everyone was happy. At least he's leaving on a good note. He'd been there 26 years, but it was time for him to retire and to be with his family. Years have gone on now. (laughs) After since that time in 2013, we'd hoped for more success, more trophies, more managers that would essentially bring us more hope. Seven managers later, in 2022, countless failings, over £1.5 billion spent, and still no trophy in sight. But each year, as a Man United fan at the back there would know, we hope that we'll win (laughs) another trophy, especially the Premier League trophy. We're still hoping. These last nine years have certainly not been the marker. But how can one wait for something that does not seem to come? How can you continue to believe in the face of disappointment? And so the use of the word hope in this modern time seems to signify a maybe, a possibility. I hope to see you soon. I hope to see you tomorrow. Hopefully it will be sunny tomorrow, we often say. But biblical hope means a bedrock, assurance based on the promises of God. And so today we want to see the certainty of hope. What is this biblical hope? And so let us read again Titus 1, 1 to 3. Paul, a servant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ, for the sake of the faith of God's elect and their knowledge of the truth, which accords with godliness, in hope of eternal life, which God, who never lies, promised before the ages began, and at the proper time manifested in his word through the preaching with which I have been entrusted by the command of God, our Saviour. The certain hope we are looking at this morning is the hope of eternal life. When we talk of eternal life or anything related to eternity, we often think of something in the future, don't we? Something ahead of us. But the Christian hope is grounded in eternity past. It governs eternity present and it keeps us looking forward to this absolute hope in Christ that he will return. And so as we look at God's faithfulness, what do we mean by this hope 
What do we mean that is an absolute certainty for a believer? Verse 2 reveals that hope of eternal life. It reveals that this hope has its conception before the ages began. That hope of future eternity is underpinned by hope outside of time. Before time existed and before humanity existed on earth, this hope stood firm. This was revealed in the life, death, burial, resurrection of Christ Jesus. The hope of eternal life is manifested in the now, present sense, as it is manifested through the preaching of God's word. Because this hope has its origin outside of time, it is not governed by time. It's eternal. So this hope, is pro- if properly understood, it's only properly understood through the eyes of God's word, as God has ordained it to be revealed. His living word. And so the Christian hope, it promises an eternal heavenly abode. Somewhere we can rest from our toil, from the struggles, from the weight, from the sins that we commit. This heavenly abode is unconstrained by time. It's eternal. This world is not our home, brothers and sisters. We're not meant to live here in this state of sin and struggle. It's not the end for us. The Christian hope reminds us that reality is not just what we see, but the sight of the unseen is an expectation of a future good. Hope calls for endurance and patience for the future of God as planned to manifest. Hope looks forward eagerly with a confident expectation that we will surely get to those shores of Zion. And so this passage reveals to us three aspects of God's faithfulness in bringing about the Christian's hope, eternal hope. And two of them we will look at this morning, the character of God and the promise of God. The Christian has a God who never lies, Paul writes. See, my, at work, my colleague often refers to lying as an exaggeration of the truth. She excuses a lying. She says, oh, it's all right to just exaggerate the truth. But the thing about lying is that it taints someone's character. When someone blatantly lies about something, you begin to question almost everything they say. And so when we look at God's character, when the Bible says God who never lies, it reveals something fateful here in God's character. God never lies. Before we get into what God has promised, we need to come to terms with what Paul is conveying about God's holy character. God is not a liar. God does not say or reveal things that's not true. Neither does he deceive anyone. God never lies because he cannot lie. Isn't it a wonderful thing to know that we serve a God that can't lie? The dependability on God and his word that he will bring to completion what he has started. What he says his word will accomplish. 
The Bible says in Numbers 23, 19, God is not man that he should lie or son of man that he should change his mind. Has he said and will he not do it? Or has he spoken and will he not fulfill it? God cannot lie because he is not man. He's not like us. His ways are above our ways. His thoughts above our thoughts. He's not human. God is not of this material world. God is a spirit, the creator of heaven and earth, the sustainer of everyone and everything. He's eternal, infinite, unchangeable in his power and perfection, his goodness, his glory, his wisdom, justice and truth. Nothing happens unless he ordains it, unless he wills it. God is transcendent above space, time and history, exceedingly above all things. To whom can we compare God? He who makes the earth his footstool and has put his breath into us. The very breath that you have today is sustained by God. He lends us his breath. You see the number of times that Paul mentions God in these verses. God's nature. He's reminding us of God's nature, God's character. He first says, a servant of God. Then he says, faith of God's elect. Then he says, hope of eternal life, which God who never lies. And later on, he talks about God being our saviour. But right in the middle here, we see God never lies. What he's trying to say to us, what is Paul trying to say to us? He's saying here that first of all, he is a servant of God, a slave of God, which we spoke about last time, speaks of his relationship with God and how we are to relate to God as he is our master and we are his servants. But slave does it justice because it means we are just in surrender to this awesome power and being. He says also that about the God's elect, those who believe in God as a result of the gift of salvation, those whom God grants repentance and faith. And so Paul in verse 2 is showing us who this God of the elect is. Who is this God that we are meant to serve? And actually, we don't serve God. We do his will. Why? Because he He's the author and creator of us all. And so implied in this statement, God who never lies, Paul reveals the whole character of God. One attribute of God cannot be separated from his other attributes. You cannot take his attribute of love and forget his attribute of justice. What is the implication of God's truthfulness? What is the implication that God cannot lie? But God is trustworthy. You can bank on him. God is reliable. He will never leave nor forsake you. He does what he says he will do. God is consistent. He's not sometime-ish. He's the same yesterday, today, and forevermore. He's unwavering. He's unchanging. It speaks of his holiness because God is set apart. He's not man. It speaks of God's personal being. God that relates to his people. 
He doesn't lie to us. But he comes close to us to tell us the truth in love. He speaks of God as a judge. Why? Because if God is truthful, then he's righteous also. And then he can make right judgments on everything. He is righteous. And as Bavink says in his book, Our Reasonable Faith, the doctrine of God and the doctrine of the eternal salvation of souls are not two independent doctrines which have nothing to do with each other, but are inseparable, relatedly related to each other. And so this resonates with what verse 1 reveals here, that Paul, a servant of God, an apostle of Jesus Christ, for the sake of the faith of God's elect and the knowledge of their truth, of the truth. See, knowing the truth of God, knowing who God is, is to have the hope of eternal life. Both of these are not exclusive. You must know God to have eternal life. To know God is eternal life. That's what the Bible says. And so God is not human. We cannot see God with our physical eyes yet. And even Moses, we know, he only saw the back of God. God is outside of time because he created time. God is eternal. He has no beginning and no end. Why? Because he controls time. And created time for us. A creative order, the Bible says, was good. He's immortal because he's infinitely powerful and incorruptible. We live in a world that runs in time, don't we? The earth rotates around the sun. 365 days, sometimes 366. The earth spins on its axle 24 hours. Everything runs on time. Science reveals this. But science cannot explain the divine, sovereign architect. It cannot explain that the God of the universe exists. Science is based on material, worldly things. At best, science answers such questions through a philosophical lens. What is known as the philosophical materialism says that all that exists is matter. It's all energy. It's all space. It's all time. And so, yes, science is a tool for the discovery of what already exists. But the natural minds cannot reveal spiritual things, the Bible says. The creature, the creature cannot fathom the creator, the creator. But the creature can point to create a creator as the building point of all things. We can look to say there is a God. Just as the same way we can see a building and say there is a builder. And so to make sense of our purpose, we need to start with God. And the Bible reveals this creator and divine architect, designer, the true living God. Before God created the heavens and earth, he had a plan A and he stuck. Stuck to it. He didn't change or deviate from that plan. And God planned before the ages began to glorify himself by promising a group of people eternal life. The sovereign God in his purposed will promise salvation, promise eternal life, ordained that they would be with him 
in his presence, worshipping him, glorifying him for eternity. God does not lie. Where do we get our sense of right and wrong? The Bible says that the moral law of God has been written on the heart of man. Each one of us has an innate knowledge of the truth, of good and bad. When we do wrong, when we sin, we suppress that knowledge. And so if we're simply just matter, like science says, and the product of evolution, why do you seek justice when someone does wrong to you? When someone steals something of yours? Why do you get angry at people if there is no God? Where does this sense of wrong and right come from? Well, we do matter before God. We're not just matter. We do matter before God. And his holy character demands that we are holy. His perfect righteousness and his righteous anger demands justice. Every sin must be punished. And have you considered where you will be today if God was to come and visit us? How would you stand before God? What have you done with the breath that he's given to you? There is no salvation nor any hope of eternal life if you do not repent from sin. If you do not turn away and come to the knowledge of the truth of God. You may feel that you are a good person, that you do good things. But good doesn't save. There is a divine standard that is written in everyone's heart. The Bible reveals to us. No one is good. We have all gone astray. We have all strayed away from our creator. We have fallen short of God's holy standard. His character demands that we be righteous, that we be holy. The question is, how will you measure up to this standard? Are you measuring up to this standard? The Bible reveals that by nature we are all rebels. We have rebelled against God and we are spiritually dead. That's how we come into this world. As sure as God cannot lie, we have believed the lie of the devil. That was the sin in, in the garden. They believed the lie of the devil. Every human being is born with this sinful nature. And so we can easily live in the deception that we are not sinners. Because we don't want to be accountable to this holy God. What are you pursuing that you never arrive at this knowledge of the truth? What greater learning is there than to know the living God? To know that he has created you and loved you for eternity? Why do we prioritise other things? There is no concrete hope in this life except in Christ alone. The certainty of your hope of eternal life is built on knowing God. Your goodness cannot provide such eternity or certainty. Your money cannot secure you this hope. Your spouse will not get you into heaven. There is no plus one in heaven. You stand 
before the living God. Each one given an account of what he's done in the body and what he's said. Your parents cannot reserve you a spot in heaven, in eternity, in the eternal rest of God. Your job security cannot secure you true heavenly retirement. There is no retirement on earth. As for a Christian, we work and work and work until we get to our rest. So we can save up. We can be, yes, we can be financially astute. But our rest goes beyond finance. Our rest is an eternity of God in his presence, worshipping him daily. You cannot scheme your way into heaven with earthly wisdom or intellect. Those things will fade. As you get older, your memory is not as strong. Those things that you hold so dearly begin to fade. Your health fades. How do you come to the knowledge of the truth? That's in God's word. Come to God's word. Think about God's character. What it means to have a holy God. What sins easily ensnare us, brothers? What sins trap us? What sins cause addictions in our lives? We must release them. We must look at the truth of God. Look at the character of God. We cannot stand in his presence. Unless we forsake those things. Let's lay waste those sins that hold us back, that rob us of the knowledge of God. Do not be deceived in this life that you will take your chance and take chances. That maybe, maybe, be assured of your salvation now. Walk out your salvation with fear and trembling before God. That's the certainty that we have. When we know the living God, when he is our God, when he's Lord and Saviour over our lives. Death is a certainty for us all, unless Christ returns before. Why be changed to this world? Why be bound to this world? When he asks us and he calls us to receive the free gift of salvation, the truth of God. Are you in a habitual sin? Well, call out to the Lord. Call out to the Lord for help. Turn away from those sins. Flee from those sins. Run from those sins. You must turn to God. Those sins must be rolled away. Don't delay. Don't wait to tomorrow. Struggles are real, but there is freedom that comes in Christ. When you trust in his word, when you look to him, when you look to the hope that he offers, our God that walked this earth at every point was tested, yet without sin. Why not trust in him? Don't trust in yourself. John 8 14 says this of the devil. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character for he is a liar 
and father of lies. See, the lies of the devil deceive man to fall into his own desires. Those are the desires we need to be praying to God about. The devil sends things to entice us, but we can't just blame the devil. It's our desires that he plays upon. Don't fall into the trap, the lies of the enemy. He's the father of lies. He has only one end, and that is utter darkness. Destruction, enduring infinite destruction and darkness and blackness and punishment from a holy God. Why would you follow his path? Turn to a gracious God who never lies because he cannot lie. He is faithful. He has a greater plan and a greater will for your life. An expected end that you can be assured of today if you turn your heart to him. How can we be sure of this blessed hope of eternity? Why? Because God, who never lies, promised before the ages began. And so this is our second point. God is faithful in his promise. God's character means that he cannot lie. In particular, what are we referring to? What are we saying here? Well, God made a promise of eternal life before the ages began. In order of his word, the word was spoken even before time, before we were created. The bedrock, we said earlier on, the bedrock assurance of hope of eternal life is built on this, is built on the promises of God before time. And so as we have seen, the character of God cannot be disputed and is not in question. What implication does this have for his promises? Well, it means that God must fulfill his promise. What he said he would do, every promise that he makes Every word that goes out from the mouth of God shall not return to him empty, but it shall accomplish it, accomplish that which he purposes and shall succeed in that thing as he set it to do. And so what promise do we have here in Titus? The promise of eternal life. And for God to promise this eternal life to anyone, he must first have the power to make this promise. And then he's able to keep and fulfill this promise. He must have the authority and the power. The authority and the power to execute his promise. So if I, as a father, if I promise my son a private jet, my my son doesn't need to look at my bank account for him to know that I can't. And I don't have the means for that, right? But if I was to promise him a toy, a toy aeroplane, that can do that. He can, he can get that for me, right? He can believe that. He knows that I've got the ability to do that. But if it's Christmas time now and I've forgotten to give him a present or buy him one, and it's 10 o'clock Christmas Eve. And I'm there scrounging around for this present. Do I have this power to get him that present? No, I don't. The shops are closed. 
unless I break into the shop. There is no power. And I have no authority to do so. I have the means, I have the power, financial power, but I am not authorized access to get him that present. And so you see, the promise of eternal life by God is only assured by coming to know this eternal God, to know his authority, and to know his power. He has all power. He has all authority to bring about his perfect purposes. See, if there's one thing that we can all want more of in this world, what is it? We want more time, if we're being honest. It doesn't seem like sometimes that 24 hours is enough. We want more time to spend with our loved ones. We want more time to sleep, don't we? Especially for those with newborns. We want more time to complete that assignment, that deadline is coming. More time to rest from the week's toil and the struggles of life. Have you ever thought why it feels like there's never enough time? Because we're not meant to live like this. We're not meant to live this life that's constrained by time. We were never meant to die. We were never meant to struggle as we do. But disobedience to God brought about death to this true life that he created us for. It cut us off from the spiritual breath of God, so to speak. And so Solomon writes in Ecclesiastes, he says, There was a time for every matter under heaven. And God has given us things to be busy with here on this earth, in this age. But Solomon does not stop there. He says in chapter 3, or Solomon, um, chapter 3, verse 11, he writes this. He says, He, God, has made everything beautiful in its time. Also, he has put eternity into man's heart. So there's time and eternity. God created time for us, but we were meant always to live with him. The constraint of time now squeezes us, puts us under pressure. We live for now, this moment. And really, we are walking through time. Eternity past, eternity present, eternity future. For the Christian, you already have eternal life. You're just living it out. How you live here is important because you have a responsibility also. See, your desires for pleasure do not guarantee you eternal life. Why? Because pleasures that we require are before the Lord. Pleasures evermore are with the Lord. Don't exchange this earthly corruptible treasure or pleasure that you hold on to, that I hold on to, to distort our view of the eternal treasures with God. See, your ambitions for success in your career, it cannot give you the good life that you so, so need, that your heart craves. True life is revealed in Jesus alone. In Jesus alone. Your spouse, your children, your family, Everything that you can acquire, 
however lovely, however great, however caring, does not satisfy this desire for eternity. To whom did God promise if he made this promise before eternity, before time began? Or to those in the days of Adam, to those in the day of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, in the days of Moses, in the days of Joshua, in the days of Nahum, in the days of Zephaniah, as we read in Bible studies, in the days of the New Testament, in our day, in the true church. Those seated here today. How do we know God as promised? Well, the Bible, the word of God, reveals this to us. If you do not read this word and see God's character and see his loveliness, his justice, his holiness, if this Bible does not appeal to you, does it not draw you to God's presence? How will you have hope? How will you seek him the more? I've often said this. It can be difficult to come to God's word. But if you get into God's word and it does not delight you, that is a red mark. There are things and struggles before you get to God's word. You can wake up in the morning and feel tired. The struggles the night before, lack of sleep, the cares of the world may try to restrict us and constrain us. The time factor, we don't have time for it. But if when you get to God's word and you're reading that, you don't see his power, his goodness, it's a red flag. Ask the Lord to open your eyes and your heart to see the beauty of his word. Many passages in the Bible reveal God's promise of eternal life to believers. And just one in particular I wanted to highlight. 2 Timothy 1, 8-9. Therefore do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord. Nor of me his prisoner, Paul says. But share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God who saved us and called us to a holy calling. Not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace, which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began. So I want to highlight one thing here that I think is key. This promise was given by God's grace. That's what Paul says. And divine purpose in Christ Jesus before the ages began. This is not by human works, but a work of God in eternity past. God's plan is a work independent of us, independent of our character, independent of our sin. God's purpose stands because it's controlled by him. He controls all things. His approval of anyone is entirely because of his love and his gracious, his benevolence towards us and his gracious acceptance of us in his beloved son. Not because of anything we have done. This was before the ages began. He loved us with an eternal love. We cannot know this God 
unless he reveals himself to us, unless he shows us himself, unless he reveals eternal life to you. And so as we, as we close this morning, what does this mean for us here, seated here? How do you find this hope if you're not trusting in Jesus right now? Well, you cannot seek God. But he reveals himself to his people. If there is a divine creator, then there must be a purpose for his creation. Every building, as we said earlier, serves a purpose. Science and philosophy cannot explain God. Science and philosophy cannot explain what the end will be. God's promise is interwoven with his character. You cannot explain the chief destination of man without knowing this eternal God. It starts with God. Acknowledge your sin. Acknowledge that you are a sinner before this holy God. Turn away from sin and turn to him. Seek and plead his mercy. Stop trying to live this life as you have planned from A to B. You're not in control. He alone is in control. He has his own program. If you don't, he has promised eternal justice. He has promised eternal punishment for those who don't get with his program. Do not reject the gift of salvation. Today, if you hear this word, draw near to God. Ask him to reveal himself to you. He will perform his word. The Bible says that he will hold everyone to account for every word and deed that we commit. And he will judge righteously. And so the only hope that you can have is to believe and trust in the name of Jesus. Who has revealed this loving kindness to us. Who has died on the cross for sinners. Who has removed the shackles of sin. Who has made a living and an abiding way to the Father. He is the way, the truth and the life. He has lived the life that we could never live. And died the death that we deserve. He is the faithful one. And if you have this hope already, my encouragement to you this morning is that eternal life is a sure thing for you. It's a sure thing. Do not be put off by what you see in this world. The things that come against you, the things that rub you off sometimes seems a peace. No, our peace is in God. Rest in him. Continue to hope in Christ. Continue to hope for his blessedness. Acquaint yourself with the promises of God. It's amazing, sometimes we forget God's promises to us. We do that when we forget to read the word. We need to hear the gospel time and time again. Peter talks about it. I must send you this, I must write to you this, to, as a way of reminder, to stir you up. So when I'm gone, you have something to look and to, to remember about. 
And God has left us his word. That's what we're going to learn about this evening. Why has he done that? So we have something to reference. So we can see his blessedness. We can see the hope that he has planned from eternity past. And so we must reflect and remind ourselves of God's promises. Why? Because they stir up hope. They stir up hope. We are prone to forget God's goodness. We must walk daily in his word. And it's not enough to just read God's word. Are you believing God's word? Are you trusting God's word? Do you see this as your life? To know the living God. I used to grow up thinking there was a purpose for my life. People said you would be this, you would be that. And you end up being confused because you're trying to chase so many things. The Bible says that we must know God. That's the chief purpose. To know him, Christ crucified. To know him, the fellowship of his suffering. To know him, his power and his might. To know him that he suffered on the cross for sinners. To know him resurrected. To know him that has given us life. To know him that is all joy. And to know him as hope. Hope is a person. Hope is a person. Hope is Christ. When he stepped his foot into this world, hope came. And so when he revealed himself, the Bible said when the grace of God appeared, he saved us. What a wonderful verse. He saved us. You're safe in his arms. You're safe in eternity. No matter what you don't have, whatever you do have, they lay flat at the cross of Christ. It's only him crucified that matters and him resurrected. Because because he lived and he died and he resurrected, we have life. And we have a living hope that cannot be cut short. The world can say what they want about the church. But the church stands to be a vehicle by which the gospel of God goes out to provide hope for this nation and this land and this world. God moves in amongst his people. So be stirred up in hope for that eternity because it affects how you live now. And so Christian duty is linked to Christian doctrine. The book of Titus majors on this sound doctrine being the basis for the discipline of goodness, of godliness in the life of a believer. So my question to you this morning is, are you growing in godliness? Are you growing in holy conduct and attitude and thoughts and mind? Are you giving God the worship that he deserves in how you live your life? Because the mark of a true convert of Christ is that we live as he wants us to, in conduct, in attitude and in thoughts. Why? Having eternity in view. Think of this as we close. If you are at home and you've been engaging in some fun activities or just working at home and you get a call that the place is a mess, right? You've been enjoying, but you get a call. Bro, sis, I'm coming round. Are you home? What is your th- first thought? I need to clean up. <laughs> They're going to be here in 10 minutes. Are we ready for when Christ will return? It's imminent. 
The call has already gone out. The faithful one will return. How are you living? He can come this moment. He can come tomorrow. Will you shed the weight of sin that easily ensnares us? Or are you holding tightly to that? God who has cleansed us of all sins. He's saying, knocking at the door. Let me in. Be free from your sins. Be free from the dominion and the lies of Satan. Embrace his truth. Embrace me, the way, the truth and life. The coming of Christ must impact how we live now. We don't just wait till he returns, but we must live in godliness now. The expectation of eternal life should be instructive in how we live now. Hope is a person. He is returning. He will return. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, the Bible says, we have of all people most to be pitied. Live with the view that the return of Christ is imminent. Our joy is coming. Our joy is here. Our king is coming. Hope keeps us from unbelief in the face of struggles, in the face of persecution, in the face of injustice, in the face of pain. Those things do not define us. What defines a Christian is eternal hope. Not what we see, but what is unseen, what has been promised before ages began, what we are walking through, what we are looking forward to. You can deal with your past because of the hope of the future. Jesus has dealt with your past, your present and future sins. So you can have the certainty of hope now. Life is not hopeless for those who know the God of hope. Press on, brothers and sisters. Press on in whatever difficulty you face, in whatever situation you find yourself. Call to mind that the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. And great is God's faithfulness. Amen.